Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. We have a great show planned for you today. I want to remind you to please visit animalstodayradio.com, visit us on Facebook, and join the discussion. And please subscribe on iTunes so you can listen to the podcast on your mobile device every week. Azadine Downs is with us today. He is president and CEO of International Fund for Animal Welfare, and I am just so excited to finally meet him. The organization was founded in 1969 and now has projects in more than 40 countries where it saves individual animals, animal populations, and habitats. Azadine has been a leader on conservation issues for the past 16 years, and he's got a long and impressive resume, but I'll just say that in 2015, he was named to Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business. Today, our focus is international wildlife trafficking, and certainly IFAW, IFAS, is leading efforts worldwide to address this huge problem. Welcome, Azadine. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Why don't we just start with you describing the scope of illegal wildlife trafficking around the world? Uh, Give people a feeling of what we're dealing with. Sure. Um, Well, from economic point of view, we're talking about 19 or 20 billion U.S. dollars a year. So it's, it's absolutely huge. And when I say trade, illegal trade in, in animals, you have to keep in mind that it's both live animals, uh, birds, lizards, reptiles, and then products like, unfortunately, elephant ivory and rhino horn. So it's a combination, really, of trading live animals, which has all sorts of Uh, animal welfare concerns, in addition to conservation concerns, as well as um, products which really is is leading to uh, extreme cruelty and and conservation concerns about complete uh, populations of animals. Now, a new European action plan to combat wildlife trafficking was just announced. Uh, What was this and why is it needed? Everyone always thinks of China. That's, that's where all of the, the rhino horn goes. That's where the elephant ivory goes. But the fact of the matter is, is that the U.S. Uh, for ivory is, is number two. Mm-hmm. And Europe is also a huge importer, legally and illegally, of animal products. So when you look at the EU, the statutes have been on the book uh, for quite some time. But the difference now is that there's pushback from a lot of the Asian countries and African countries, quite frankly, to say to the Europeans, well, you need to do something to control your own illegal uh, trafficking. Mm. Uh, so uh, Europe is made up of countries, which you know are EU states for all practical purposes. And um, up until this act, many of them had a wide range of laws that pertain to the implementation of wildlife trade. And so there were disparities. And and why it's important now is that with an EU-wide effort, uh, those countries that um, were perhaps more lax uh, or those countries in which the regulations and or awareness of illegal wildlife trade were weak are now getting much more attention. So if you look at the southern, southern countries, for example, we know that there's a lot of illegal wildlife trade coming from Morocco into Spain, uh, mm-hmm. south of France, Italy. Yes. UK is, uh, is very, very strong. Uh, 
so, so the act enables us to now take a much more uh, holistic picture, look at where there are strengths and weaknesses across uh, borders, um, and to, to unify some of the approaches. Uh, just like what we're seeing in Africa, um, you know, there are huge, huge differences in level of awareness, first of all, uh, what, the, what the fines are, what the judiciary thinks uh, of cases that come before them dealing with wildlife crime. And what we want to stop in Europe, as we're trying to stop in Africa, is the criminal networks uh, from, from exploiting the weaker countries in Europe. And one of the ways that we can do that is to ensure that information is shared across borders mm-hmm. um, and that uh, we use big data, uh, which is really the compilation of trends uh, to see where wildlife trafficking is happening most and then focus attention and financial resources there. So there are parallels to drug trafficking efforts and human trafficking efforts? No, there, there really are. I mean, one of the things that we've learned, and, you know, people who love animals, they're focused on that animal. And, you know, at, at IFA, of course, we, you know, we're focused on that animal. And we'd often talk about the ivory trade. And one of the things that I really wanted to get across at IFA and out into the larger world is that what we're really concerned about is elephants. So we have divided our strategy into you know, three points is stop the killing, stop the trade, and stop the use. Yeah. So in China, for example, we have large campaigns to convince the Chinese population not to use ivory, not to use ivory, uh, not to use a rhino horn. Stop the trade, we know that a lot of these products leave Africa via the Middle East, via Southeast Asia. Um, controlled by very large criminal networks. Uh, wildlife trade is considered third amongst all of the trade after uh, arms and drugs. But we realized that focusing on the product is not necessarily going to help us identify and disrupt the networks. Mm-hmm. Because the networks, the criminal networks, often are moving a wide variety of things. And their focus is on profit. So they will typically choose those things that give them the most economic gain with the least risk. And up until now, and, it, and it's true for the European legislation, but you'll see across Africa and places like Kenya, um, implementing wildlife laws that, that dramatically increase the penalties of trafficking in things like ivory. But ultimately, we want to stop the killing. Yes. The realization that all of the efforts, which will continue to stop the trade and stop the use, all of those things happen after the elephant has been killed, after the rhino has been killed. So a a, a great focus of ours, and this had to do with the the congressional forum that we held uh, at the the Capitol Visitor Center last week, March 8th, uh, really focusing on preventing the killing in the first place and coming up with ideas that uh, are predictive in nature so that we know where the poachers may strike next and stop them before they get there. Now, in this congressional forum that you just mentioned, 
one of the points or perhaps the main point that you were bringing home is that there are global security implications related to the illegal wildlife trade. Uh, expand on that a little bit. Criminal networks have become so sophisticated in moving products, um, and it could be wildlife, but it also could be drugs. It could be human trafficking. Uh, it could be cigarettes, pharmaceuticals, etc. So when you look at all of those things, you would say, well, why is an animal welfare group, why is a conservation group interested in those things? And the answer is because it's the networks that move these products. So one of the first things we did was to really look at uh, what, what intelligence is out there. Who is collecting information? So you'll hear a lot about uh, drones and, and um, camera traps and smartphones and crowdsourcing of information. But what, what we found early on was that whilst these projects were being funded, the data being collected the data didn't go anywhere. It either stayed within an organization and was analyzed uh, at a local level, uh, or it was shared with a very uh, tight group of other like-minded organizations. But it didn't go to um, enforcement networks. Mm -hmm. It didn't go to police. Even information that was being uh, collected and observed outside of the national parks and it's, it's important to remember that in a lot of the parks um, in East Africa in particular, they're not fenced. So elephants, for example, may spend 80% of their time outside the park. And the rangers uh, are charged with protecting elephants inside the park. So what does that mean? It means that you need to rely on other networks outside the park. So that might be uh, community scouts. It might be police and it might be the communities themselves. Every time there's a poaching incident in one particular place, three or four days beforehand, um, a number of small shops uh, are robbed of tea and sugar. Mm, yeah. Why? Because the poachers are going to take this out into the field with them, take it out into the bush, and that's what they're going to survive on yeah. whilst on the poaching trip. So that information doesn't go anywhere. The local shopkeeper says, well, you know, I, I got robbed of sugar and, and tea. What does it have to do with elephants? Uh, so we're encouraging that type of indicator to be reported to the local police. Local police realize that this may be an indication that there's a network moving into the area. They report it to the wild, uh, wildlife enforcement officials, and then we begin to track it, map it using geospatial mapping and all of these data points mapped out over time so that a pattern emerges. And then once the pattern emerges, um, law enforcement officials are able to, to take action. Well, what a huge project, but I have confidence you're up for the task. We're speaking with Asdeen Downs from IFAR International Fund for Animal Welfare. And thank you so much for giving us a little uh, glimpse into this uh, problem. Of course, we all support your work and wish you all the best and uh, look forward to getting further updates from you and your team. Thank you very much. Anytime. I'm, I'm pleased to do it. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio. And I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. 
And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. Tax season is here. Many of us are wondering how we can maximize our tax refund and get it faster. Jackson Hewitt CEO David Prokupek shares a few tips on how to make the most of your tax refund this year. At Jackson Hewitt, we're serving hardworking Americans, making tax season less taxing. And this year, you can have your federal refund loaded onto an American Express Serve account. When you do, you can get your refund up to two days faster than an IRS direct deposit. We're going to let folks pop into Walmart and pick up the refund for under 10 bucks. It's really a great deal, one of the ways to maximize your refund uh, this year at Jackson Hewitt. Are there any other benefits for getting refunds on the card? This American Express Serve card helps you avoid high check cashing fees. You also get $50 on American Express Serve card the same day you complete your taxes with us. It's our way of saying thank you. But the best way to get the biggest refund, for which most Americans is the biggest paycheck of the year, is to talk to a tax professional and make sure you get it right. For more information, visit jacksonhewitt.com. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. March 20th is the Great American Meetout. Started in 1985, the first day of spring has become the largest annual education campaign for compassionate living. The Great American Meetout raises awareness of the benefits of eating vegan, achieving greater health, and saving the planet. The day is coordinated by the nonprofit animal welfare group called FARM, the Farm Animal Rights Movement. And it's designed to encourage people to give veganism a try. Did you know that avoiding the consumption of animal products for just two days will save 28 animals and 190,000 gallons of water per year? 
But again, it's not just about helping the planet and saving the lives of the animals, but you're helping yourself live a longer and healthier life. Numerous studies have shown that minimizing or eliminating meat and dairy from your diet decreases your risk of developing cancer, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, and other chronic diseases. So March 20th, the first day of spring, people around the country can take a pledge to eat vegan for the day, once a week, or even for good. I dare you to try it. I'm telling you that you will prove to yourself that being vegan isn't as hard as people think. Lori, there's a uh, study underway, a couple of studies from the University of Washington's Dog Aging Project, and they are investigating the use of a medication called rapamycin as a possible way of extending the lives of dogs. Have you heard about that? No, tell me. Well, this uh, medication is uh, thought to maybe increase protein turnover in cells and thereby could get rid of some of the faulty proteins that are being made through metabolism, which might contribute to aging. And it turns out that this uh, medication is used in transplant patients, and it also can reduce cancer. And it's thought through studies on mice that it can extend the lifespan in certain mammals. So an actual a trial is being held and involving 32 middle-aged dogs uh, getting this uh, medication to see what it does to their lifespans. And imagine if that worked. Don't you think it would be popular? You bet. Yeah. Well, there are probably side effects on everything, but that would be really an amazing thing. And then everyone's going to be eating their dog medicines. Are these 32 homeless dogs or 32 dogs that volunteered for this study? Yeah, I think these are owned dogs who uh, filled out the release form and volunteered themselves. No, really, I think these are these are dogs whose owners volunteered them, and it's a small uh, pilot study, uh, but imagine if your dog could live two or three or even four years longer. Yeah. As you know, the Everglades and other parts of Florida are overrun with pythons, really wrecking the ecosystem. These snakes believe to be released pets. One of the reasons we oppose having exotic animals like snakes as pets they often outgrow the ability of their owners to handle them and they escape or get released and they are invasive. They have no natural predators. They decimate the bird and the mammal population and they just ruin everything. What do you do? There's no really good solution to deal with what's going on down there. But one thing you ought to know about that's going on is this thing called the Python Challenge. And civilians are given permits to come down and begin hunting these pythons. And there was just a month-long python challenge where folks who are hunters or fishermen or hikers or they're bird watchers, they come down and they hunt these pythons. And 106 of them were captured during the month-long hunt. The longest python that was caught was 15 feet long, and another was 13 feet 8.7 inches. This one was literally wrestled into a bag by an individual who dived on top of this snake. It's pretty strange for me to try to understand what drives an individual to want to do that. Anyway, the stomach contents of the snakes were analyzed and they were found to have large wading birds, one fawn, a wood stork, and uh, more stomachs to be analyzed. The Skins of these snakes are then uh, sold off. They're really not that valuable because there's a glut of them from the hundreds of thousands of skins that come from about 10 countries in Southeast Asia. 
But what do you do? It's a horrible situation caused by the irresponsibility of, of people, as usual. We often talk about the risks your dogs and cats face from wild animals and predators. We often remind people to keep their cats indoors. We think outdoor or indoor-outdoor cats, unless you keep them in an enclosed uh, safe area, is a risky thing. And same with dogs. Leaving your dog in the backyard, especially small ones, they can be victims of attacks by uh, coyotes and other animals. Well, there's a new report from the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and this comes out of the East Bay Regional Park District. This is around the Oakland area. And what they did was look at 107 mountain lions that were killed last year. They were killed legally because they were deemed predators and there were special depredation permits to kill these lions. And they basically did necropsies on them and examined the contents of their stomach. And you know what they found out? They found 52% of those that were analyzed were found to have eaten cats, dogs, or other domestic animals. This was very surprising because it was felt that mostly these mountain lions would consume deer as their main food source, but really they're going after domestic animals. So there's a warning there, and we haven't been blowing hot air. Indoor-outdoor cats and outdoor cats are at risk to be prey. That's number one. Secondly, your smaller dogs are at risk to be eaten. Very simply stated, your smaller dogs are at risk to be eaten by coyotes and mountain lions and perhaps others. The dogs are not aware of the risks when you leave them out. They are often attacked very stealthily from behind and grabbed, and before you know it, and before you can react, it's over. Also, you may have seen another interesting video of a coyote scaling a pretty tall wall with no difficulty at all. So you better believe these animals can get over a six and sometimes even taller wall without any difficulty. Listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit AIanimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. 
Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. I'm Bob Dorigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. Class action lawsuits play an important role in our justice system. They can make it easier for large groups of people who have been injured or harmed to obtain justice by sharing legal representation. However, a petition filed recently with the U.S. Supreme Court reveals that an alarming number of class action lawsuits are enriching the lawyers while their clients get almost nothing. For example, a class action lawsuit filed over a popular brand of batteries resulted in a payday for the lawyers of $5.7 million, but their clients got less than $350,000 combined. Put another way, the lawyers got 94% of the settlement money, while their clients got only 6%. That's only $0.05 for each of the 7 million folks who were harmed. Let's be fair. Compare that to the already high 33% charged by most of the contingency fee lawyers advertising on TV, and we can see just how outrageous that is. So how can this happen? Learn how by visiting our website at centerforamericatv.org. Thanks for calling Consolidated Credit Counseling Services. Can I help you? I sure hope so. I'm in debt. Is it credit card bills? Yes, I have two credit cards that I'm making minimum payments on and another that I'm behind on. I owe about $5,000. What interest rates are you paying? Between 18 and 22%. At that rate, it'll take over 20 years to pay off. Wow. 
20 years? What Consolidated Credit can do is work with your creditors to lower your payments and reduce or even eliminate your interest charges. You should be able to pay everything off in three or four years. What do I have to do? Just give me some details and get ready to celebrate your freedom from debt. We're Consolidated Credit. We're here to give you freedom from debt. Call now for your free consultation. If I had known it was this easy, I would have called years ago. Call 1-800-897-8374. 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated, 5701 West Sunlight Boulevard, 4 Not a loan company licensed by New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669. Welcome back to the show. Recently, the American Veterinary Medical Association, the AVMA, released a report on free roaming or feral cats that has the cat community very animated. That's because the policy covering free roaming, abandoned and feral cats leaves open the possibility of, quote, humane euthanasia of some cats under certain circumstances. Now, you're probably familiar with Best Friends Animal Society. Well, its CEO, Gregory Castle, has published a blog to refute and oppose much of the content of the new policy. To talk about the policy and reaction to it, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show Peter Wolf. Peter is the Cat Initiatives Analyst with Best Friends Animal Society. Welcome back to the program, Peter. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Peter, we have spoken about these cats on the show in the past, and they are called community cats or feral cats or free roaming cats. And they can exist in managed colonies, which which are overseen by people. And it's a fact that many cats might become a nuisance. Can we begin by having you estimate the number of cats we're talking about across the country? And can you give a quick overview of the ways communities can deal with them? Sure. You'll see, um, and I'm sure uh, many of your listeners are familiar with um, or have seen estimates uh, published out there anywhere from, say, oh, 40 million to 60 million to 80 million um, uh, community cats in the country. As you can imagine, really getting a handle on that number is extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. You asked about how, how these cats are managed. As you said, they're, they're they're often called community cats, and one of the reasons for that is because they're cared for by the community, even though there's no specific owner in, in a legal sense of that. But folks do, um, they, they feed the cats, and then through the through trap, neuter, return, or TNR programs, the cats are sterilized, vaccinated, and then returned to the location from where they, uh, 
where they were found. And these cats, as, as our experience shows at Best Friends and certainly the experience of other programs, these cats tend to do very well uh, living out there in the community. So let's talk about the revised and updated AVMA policy on community cats. What are the main points and how is it updated, Peter? Sure. Now, you mentioned leading in that Best Friends CEO, Gregory Castle, did uh, this blog post, uh, went online a, a couple weeks ago and um, had a number of, of concerns about this policy. Um, I, I want to be clear, and Gregory did this in, as well in his blog post, you know, Best Friends recognizes and is extraordinarily grateful for the work of the veterinary professionals, the, the veterinarians, the vet techs, all their support staff. Obviously, we couldn't do what we do. We certainly couldn't do what we do through our traffic return programs without the help of these folks. And that, that's actually related to one of our concerns. We really feel the, the AVMA is not speaking for the veterinary profession as a whole. We are pleased to see uh, from this policy and I should mention, too, that uh, Best Friends did weigh in with comments uh, submitted summer of 2014, as did many organizations, when this policy was uh, open for comments to AVMA members. Now, we're pleased to, pleased to see with this version of the policy that AVMA is encouraging the use of non-lethal strategies. And, and this, is, this is new. And again, this is, this is something we very much appreciate. Unfortunately, in it, the way the policy reads, in order to get through get through to that section of the policy, readers are asked to wade through a number of uh, negative impacts, is, is what they're called in the policy. And uh, a lot of these we, we feel are really um, rather overstated and can be very misleading. And it just seems like a, a lot to ask of folks to present them with all of the, the potential negative consequences. Again, many of them really exaggerated, and then try to get folks to shift to non-lethal policies. Peter, can you give us a couple examples uh, regarding this policy that you or best friends would like to see different or modified? Sure. The first, you know, it, this, this new AVMA policy acknowledges, and this is really important, the, the benefits of, of what they call properly managed programs. So this is what, you know, is often talked about as managed colonies where, um, you know, again, the cats are sterilized, vaccinated, and then you have uh, a caregiver or team of caregivers who provide ongoing care to these cats, um, which is fine. And again, it's an, certainly an accurate representation that those are great situations. But the more progressive programming these days is actually what's called return to field. And in those programs, and again, think of it as a large-scale shelter-based TNR program. And in these programs, oftentimes, a caregiver is not identified, and and that can mean a couple, a number of things. It, it could just mean because the cat comes into the shelter astray, you don't necessarily know who's taking care of these cats. It could mean um, that they're being taken care of by again a whole community, a neighborhood, or you know they're making their way up and down the street every night for dinner. What we know is these cats are the vast majority are very healthy. They're doing fine, just fine outside. But to suggest that only managed colonies, you know, provide the necessary care for these cats is, again, um, misleading and, kind of, again, sort of reflects a being behind the times in terms of the actual programming going on. And the other example I would mention is the AVMA is recommending microchip identification for cats in managed colonies. Now, 
obviously microchips have a number of advantages in terms of getting cats reclaimed from a shelter or should they go missing or, you know, what have you. Uh, but for folks who oftentimes are, are really stretching their budget just to get cats sterilized and vaccinated, if that's really a requirement, say, in uh, municipal code, that can be a deal breaker. Right. And at, at that point, you might have you may have folks who, rather than getting more cats sterilized and vaccinated, you know, they're having to allocate some funding to, to microchips. So, again, it, it's not an inherent bad. We, w- we wish there was more of it being done for sure, but it, it doesn't necessarily reflect the reality on the ground for these, these individuals in these groups. Peter, this policy talks about the diseases many of the cats have and how it can be transmitted to humans. It talks about how difficult their lives must must be. It talks about the fact that these cats kill many birds. Are you in disagreement with those statements? On their face, the statements are, are you know, they're technically correct. Nobody, not best friends, not anybody, nobody's suggesting that uh, cats don't kill wildlife, that they don't have diseases. Um, the, the extent to which those are factors that need to be seriously considered is often, and, and you know, you and I have talked about this before, often really grossly exaggerated. So again, I, on the one hand, I can understand why AVMA wants to include this, but it's just, it's, it seems an odd way to encourage non-lethal methods when you lead in with all the negative consequences, and again, without any context, any uh, any discussion of of the extent to which these these are real issues, and in fact, there's good evidence from a number of studies to to show that when these cats are sterilized, are vaccinated, that the health risks are comparable to to what pet cats have when it comes to say feeling leukemia. Um, we know um, the, the roaming is decreased, their, their home range decreases, their risk of predation also decreases. So it, it, it really, again, sort of technically accurate, but it, it, it portrays the, the, uh, the whole situation in such a way that it seems unlikely that anybody reading this would, um, would be really interested in the non-lethal methods. I mean, the, the, another way to put this maybe more simply is when I first read this, my first thought was for folks trying to, uh, say, trying to get elected officials locally to vote in favor of TNR-friendly policies, this policy statement from AVMA, I think, is much more likely to be used against, you know, the folks who want the TNR in place as opposed to the folks like myself who would be lobbying for these Right. Peter, do you think this policy has been influenced by the financial interest of the AVMA and its members? I don't know enough about the the AVMA membership. I, yeah, I'm not a veterinarian myself. I'm certainly not an AVMA member. I don't know that there's a, a financial incentive. If, if anything, uh, my sense of things, again, from talking to other folks who, who are members and who know the situation much better than I do, is that this is... It's kind of an old school way of, of seeing the situation for one thing, but also is uh, just in trying to please everybody, you know, showing a compromise to, to such a broad base of constituents that it, it really doesn't, um, doesn't reflect um, the, the veterinary profession 
um, certainly not the, the, the public and certainly not the animal welfare constituency. Peter, in conclusion, what would you like the AVMA to do? Are you calling for them to modify or reconsider any element of this policy? Well, I, as I say, we, you know, best friends submitted comments in, in uh, summer of 2014. I believe these policies are open for revision every five years, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, obviously we, we will certainly take that opportunity. We will encourage others to do the same. We're still going to continue with our program and encourage others to do the same. It's not as if th- this policy restricts us from doing that. Um, but, you know, we would certainly like to see more leadership from AVMA to actually be out there to be more progressive on these sorts of issues in the future. Cat Initiatives Analyst with Best Friends Animal Society, Peter Wolf, thank you. Thank you very much. Listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide, with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit aianimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. Every day in the United States, tens of thousands of puppies and kittens are born. Unfortunately, there are not enough homes for these cats and dogs. One unfixed female cat and her offspring can be the source of more than 400,000 cats in seven years. One female dog and her unfixed offspring can produce about 67,000 puppies. Too many cats and dogs are unwanted, so they end up being neglected, abandoned, or turned into shelters. Millions of healthy pets are killed in shelters annually in the U.S. More than 50% of the animals that enter our country's shelters get euthanized. Fortunately, there is a solution to prevent this unnecessary killing of animals. Have your pet spayed or neutered. If you want a new dog or cat, rescue one from a shelter and save a life. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. Tax season is here. Many of us are wondering how we can maximize our tax refund and get it faster. Jackson Hewitt CEO David Prokupek shares a few tips on how to make the most of your tax refund this year. At Jackson Hewitt, we're serving hardworking Americans, making tax season less taxing. And this year, you can have your federal refund loaded onto an American Express Serve account. When you do, you can get your refund up to two days faster than an IRS direct deposit. We're going to let folks pop into Walmart and pick up the refund for under 10 bucks. It's really a great deal, one of the ways to maximize your refund uh, this year at Jackson Hewitt. Are there any other benefits for getting refunds on the card? This American Express Serve card helps you avoid high check cashing fees, 
You also get $50 on American Express Serve Card the same day you complete your taxes with us. It's our way of saying thank you. But the best way to get the biggest refund, for which most Americans is the biggest paycheck of the year, is to talk to a tax professional and make sure you get it right. For more information, visit jacksonhewitt.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? But it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. I'm going to share a great story with you. Can you imagine taking a commercial ranch where steer are raised for auction and turning it into a sanctuary for rescued animals? What would cause a person to suddenly wake up and say, no more, I'm not going to participate in an enterprise that causes the suffering and death of thousands of animals every season? Renee Sonnen is with us now, and she's going to tell us her personal and inspirational story of how she changed her life and filled it with compassion. Welcome to the program, Renee. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. Renee, let's start with how you found yourself living on a ranch. Well, I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm a city girl by nature, and my husband, Tommy, and I have been married twice. And the first time we were married, um, he didn't have the ranch, though he's a multi-generational rancher. And his uh, ranching heritage dates back to the 1800s. He didn't, you know, himself have a ranch the first time, but the second time, he had acquired a ranch on Highway 35, 96 acres, as part of his retirement. The cows came with the property, and so, you know, he picked up the ranching baton that his great-grandfather and, you know, grandfather had um, done, and and he took up ranching as if uh, he never missed a beat. And now this started bothering you. Why? Well, number one, when I moved in here, I really didn't want to move to the ranch because um, I was selling real estate in Pearland, doing very well at it. And when we remarried, um, I really didn't like my heels sinking down into the dirt. And I really wasn't about all this. Um, But when I I always fancied myself an animal lover because I love my, you know, cats, dogs, I had a ferret. I've always loved animals, and but I never considered 
animals on my plate as something that I would even remotely considered falling in love with. But when I got here, I started uh, paying attention to the babies, the baby calves, and how cute they were and how they would run and play. And I started observing their relationships. And and I would go out into the field and uh, would want to, you know, observe them. And they would want to observe me. And, you know, some of them, you know, were scared of me. And so what I learned how to do was, quiet and still I would do yoga out there in the field and they would come to me and so anyway I would get to know them and then the day came when you know the red trailer was loaded up with a bunch of the babies that I'd gotten to know and they were hauled off to the cell barn for auction and it just completely blew me away. You, so you were interacting with these calves and cows, and you named them, and you were singing to them, and you were just loving them. And tell us about this red trailer. What is the red trailer? Well, it's the trailer that every six months my husband would bring out into the middle of the field. He would bait it with food that only the babies could go into because you put a chain across it. And so the babies could fit in, the big cows couldn't. And so the ones that were six to seven months old, you know, once they trusted the process in that for a few days and they were all in there eating, the door would slam shut and the red trailer would go down the road and the mother calves would chase the trailer and the babies were trying to get out and they would chase the trailer all the way down the fence line for a mile and a half. Oh, that's so sad. And the, the, babies, the babies were taken for... Food production. Absolutely. So what did you do at that point? Well, at that point, I am married to a rancher, and I'm trying to be, and not only am I married to a rancher, it's our second time to be married. So I am in shock the first time it ever happened. I made these little, out of popsicle sticks, I made these little tombstones for the ones that I, you know, had named and put their names on it, glued it on there, went outside, stuck them in the ground, cried, moaned, wailed with the mamas, uh, you know, but I have, I was still eating, you know, animals. I was still eating meat at the time. I just, you know, had fallen in love with these animals, and and I had emotion. I had very conflicting feelings, and, you know, I couldn't ignore it. And so over the next few years, the questions kept getting worse and worse. Um, because, you know, it didn't make sense to me. We're in a business where we can sell these animals that we know, but we can't eat them. But, yeah, we can eat the same species from Kroger or Whole Foods or wherever. Right. Anyway, you know, I just kept questioning, and it kept getting harder. And I started getting, the, you know, because I always got the invoices when they come in, the bill of sale, and, you know, what was on these bills of sale was not their names, but their pounds and how much they were worth and how much money we made. And I just felt like it was blood money. And uh, it just got harder and harder. And that's what I started doing in my mind. I was trying to rectify this, you know. I was trying to rationalize this. And every which way I could, I was just churning inside. And and, and, and so in, in doing that, here I was realizing uh, that, hmm, I have a vegan's heart. 
And so I started learning everything I could about veganism. So, Renee, you came to this realization that eating animals is wrong. You became vegan. You started a Facebook blog called Vegan Journal of the Rancher's Wife. And you converted your ranch into what's called a Rowdy Girl Vegan Farm Animal Sanctuary? That's right. Tell us what you do now. Well, uh, we've been a nonprofit uh, since February the 20th of last year. That's our official date. And we rescue farmed animals bound for slaughter. Uh, we, When we first started, we had 28 cows, six chickens, and four horses. Today, we have over 88 farmed animals. Our most recent rescue was 15 chickens from El Paso, hens that were actually part of a cockfighting ring. And they were going to be euthanized. We paid for transportation. We paid for them to get here. My husband built a chicken coop for them. Uh, these 15 chickens are rescued now, you know, and, and so that's what we do. We rescue animals bound for slaughter. A lot of FFA animals, kids that can no longer stand the FFA system, you know, they get to the end of the road, that trail of tears, they call it, and they can't take their animal that they've grown to love, of course, and they can't see it go on the slaughter truck. These kids are taught, you know, to, to love these animals to a certain point and take care of them, but then they're, they're taught to let them go into the food chain if that's part of the process. Renee, who visits your sanctuary? We have visitors from all over the country and the world. We have schools that come and bring kids, and um, a lot of families come, and they come and volunteer here. They want to see how animals are really treated that and loved you know animals that we eat you know they want to see how they're really supposed to be treated and right they're beautiful sentient beings that that want love just like we do i can't believe i ever ate them i can't believe i was ever taught that it was okay to eat animals yeah what's your website it's rowdygirlsanctuary.org renee sonnen thank you very much thank you dr Lori. thank you so much Your Animals Say Fun Facts for the Day are about koalas. When early European settlers first encountered koalas in Australia, they thought the tree-climbing animals were bears or monkeys. Even today, people still incorrectly refer to koalas as koala bears. In fact, koalas, like kangaroos, are actually marsupials, which are also known as pouched mammals because the adult females have a marsupium, or pouch, where their young stay until fully developed. Koalas are only found in Australia, and they are one of that country's iconic symbols. Koalas have special physical characteristics that complement their tree-dwelling lifestyle including their two opposable digits to grip branches and to pick the tasty eucalyptus leaves, their main form of nourishment. And these are your Animals Today fun facts for the day.